Most people can't scale infinitely, but they can scale a lot further than you think. And that what I've learned over the years is that the key to scaling is about being obsessed with mastering the craft of your job. Welcome everyone to WorldPod. Uh, today we have with us Matt Blumberg and um, CEO and founder of Bolster. And uh, friends, uh, listeners and viewers, so I think very few times we get, we get um, guests or we got the opportunity to talk to the guests who have built the whole thing from ground up for themselves as well as they're assisting a lot of other companies from this in the startup journey and matt is one such um, leader that we have on board and we'll have a ball we'll talk about the startups we'll talk about the leadership the landscape and his book startup cxo um so with that matt welcome to the the podcast thanks vishal good to be here awesome so as a start, uh, why don't you walk us through your journey? Um, what brought you to this world uh, till today? So I've been working in uh, the commercial internet basically since 1994, uh, which is uh, pretty early on in, in the grand scheme of things. Um, I started actually working as an associate at a venture capital firm doing investing in some of the very early internet companies. It was a software investment firm. Um, and then I spent five years as the general manager of an internet business uh, called moviephone.com, which was inside of an interactive services company, a small cap public company called moviephone that had been doing interactive telephone work in the 80s and early 90s. Um, so I uh, built and was kind of running a, a top um, uh, website at the very early uh, days of the internet. Um, we sold moviephone to AOL in 1999 when AOL was kind of the Google of its day. And I started a company called Return Path, which was in the email marketing space. Um, and with uh, the help of a great team and some fantastic investors, scaled that business over the course of 20 years uh, to be north of 100 million in revenue and profitable. Uh, we sold that company in 2019. Along the way, I had done a lot of mentoring of other startups. I write a blog, which is called StartupCEO.com. I wrote a book called Startup CEO. And um, a lot of members of my senior team from Return Path and I wanted to start another business together. And we started Bolster in 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, so we're now uh, running and scaling um, a brand new startup uh, that is in the business of helping um, other startups figure out how to scale their leadership teams and scale their boards and uh, helping startup CEOs figure out how to scale themselves with mentoring and coaching. Um, it's a really innovative business model. Uh, it's an executive talent marketplace that's um, aimed at startups. Uh, so that is what we're doing with Bolster. So um, before we jump into the conversation, what, um, so tell us a the backstory behind Bolster. So what brought up this need for you to start this, this venture? Um, so there were a few things that kind of came together at the same time. Um, my team and I really wanted to do something that was impactful for the startup ecosystem. Uh, and um, yeah, that's an ecosystem we've lived in for two decades, we're very familiar with. Um, I personally had done a lot of mentoring and coaching and advising of early stage CEOs. I've sat on a bunch of boards um, as well as scaling my own business. And um, we looked at some of the trends that were going on in uh, the workforce. And one of the most important ones over the last few years, pre-pandemic, although I think the pandemic kind of accelerated it, um, was this trend of the gig economy making its way up to, uh, to the executive suite. And more and more executives now want to work part-time and piecemeal and project work, sometimes permanently, sometimes when they're between jobs, um, now it's easier than ever to work remotely and work on Zoom. Um, and, uh, you know, it occurred to us that the, um, the, the traditional way that companies find executive talent or board talent um, as startups and early stage companies is, is kind of incompatible with the way startups operate. 
So if you think about it, if you're a startup CEO and you need help, you need a CFO or you need a, 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 an interim head of marketing or you need a part-time head of people, um, what do you do? You do one of two things. You either call your, email your board, email your VC, right? Hey, who do you know that can do something? Mm. Or you pay a huge amount of money and take months and months and months to go through a traditional search process, whether you uh, use a search firm or an agency or even try to do it on your own in-house. And all of those things are, you know, they can get you people, but they're not necessarily uh, lending themselves to finding the best people, to finding di a diverse pipeline of talent, um, or, uh, you know, sort of a comprehensive process. And they take a long time. They're just, they're very inflexible and, and heavy for startups. Um, so, you know, look at the end of the day, startups need three things to be successful. They need a great idea and product market fit. Uh, they need money and they need a great team. Mm -hmm. And in particular, they need a great leadership team and they need a great board if they're going to scale. And um, all of these things kind of came together and uh, convinced us that this was a space that we wanted to work on. Um, and that's why we created Bolster. I think fascinating. So um, let's let's spend a few minutes on your journey assisting startups. And and you have been involved with a lot of startups. You have been assisting a lot of startups and helping them structure. So in your journey, what are some of the things that you have seen um, successful or some of the tenets of a successful startup or some of the qualities that you that, that you have you look for in a startup when it comes to predicting their success? Um you know, I, I think it's um uh, it starts with really with two things, the, the problem space and the strength of the team. Um, and money is important, but obviously if you get those first two things, right, money finds its way into the, into the business. And, um, you know, the most successful startups are the ones that have, um, have that really strong vision. Um, you know, what is the real pain that real people or real companies have uh, that that you're going to go solve, and how are you going to solve it, and how are you going to solve it in a way that is better, faster, and cheaper than other solutions out there, or you or completely unique, or or whatever the model is. Um, and um, uh, you know, I think the the strength of team has a lot to do with vision. Um, but it also has to do with the capacity to think strategically and with the capacity to execute. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can have a great idea, but if you can't execute it, then it doesn't matter. Um, and it doesn't matter how much money you have. So, um, uh, you know, when I see those two things come together in a startup, I get excited about that startup's prospects. Interesting. And, um, so if if we if we talk about say team um and i think you you wrote extensively about team you are assisting many many startups and understanding the leadership and the importance of leadership so if suppose we we say hypothetically we see a startup's uh, incubation journey from day 0 to say ipo from your vantage point at which stage in a startup, which kind of leadership is essential for its success? Like, did you get a chance to think about um, how, say, if I'm an entrepreneur getting into getting into my startup journey, at what point I should be looking for which kind of talent pool? Uh, I wonder if you have any perspective on that. Um, I, I do. I mean, I, I think there are um, there are people you can bring into a business who are great at a particular stage but aren't great at other stages. And then there are people in businesses in the startup world who are very good at scaling from one stage to the next. And um, you can learn the second one, but that doesn't necessarily come naturally to everyone. Um, so the most important thing startup CEOs can do is just understand the people on their team and how scalable they are to the next stage of the company's life, whatever, whether you're going from seed to series A or series A to series B or B to C, uh, just because you nailed one doesn't mean you're ready to nail the next um, because different things are required. 
And it's not just different things are required to be successful at, you know, a series B company versus a series A company. It's navigating that transition from one stage to the other that not everyone is great at. And, and I think the reason not everyone's great at it is that usually uh, startups are a, um, uh, a journey in creative destruction. And, you know, the things that make a company work at one stage actually have to frequently be torn down or at least altered pretty dramatically for the company to be successful at the next stage of life. So whether it's, you know, you implement your first version of an accounting system and it's QuickBooks, and then it's just not going to work and you have to go implement intact, but that actually means you have to rip out a system, put in a new one, reinvent accounting processes around it. Um, and, and that part, the stage transition part, and you can apply that to any functional department. You can apply it to systems or processes or people. Um, it, it's that tear down and build back part that's really difficult um, for a lot of people because a lot of those people are the ones that built it in the first place. So being good, not just at creative destruction as in, hey, I'm going to come in and we're going to do things differently and I'm going to level it up, but being the person who built it and then had to replace it. Um, is what's really challenging. Interesting. So I think so. Uh, one thing that's fascinating about your journey. So um, in your um, in your past life, you have um, led an innovative part uh, or team of a, of of a successful organization, Movie Phone, bring it to success. You yourself have created, hand created an organization, bring it to success, and and many times. Um, Success, as you rightly said, is good team and great execution. So now um, in your journey, um, and when we talk to a bunch of leaders about, and this, they said, hey, culture is center to both of them, right? Hopefully inviting or having having ability to see great talent and and, and understanding the, the execution element. So from your journey and from the journey that you have seen a successful startups uh, undertake, what are some of the good practices you have seen that entrepreneurs or companies do building a successful culture? Um, the most important thing about building a successful culture is being intentional about it. Um, so as I always say, every company has a culture, whether or not the founder's paying attention to it, right? It just develops. It is. Um, and uh, if you want to shape the culture, then you have to shape the culture. You have to spend time doing that. And not all founders do that. There are a lot of founders that just, you know, think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to set the tone and it, it's going to be fine, or they don't even think about it. Um, and it's easy to wake up one day with 20, 30, 50 people in the company and actually not like what you see, mm-hmm. even though you're the founder, even though you're the CEO. So being really intentional, intentional about um, shaping the culture, about putting the um, programs in place, the practices, the cultural artifacts, weaving culture into the employee life cycle from how you interview people to how you review people and compensate people and um, hire them, fire them. All those things are are really important. But if if you're not if you're not being intentional about them, they won't happen the right way. So that's the the most important thing is just paying attention to it and being intentional about it. Um, and um... If we talk about, say, pitfalls or some of the struggles, so when you see such startups which you really find them promising and they are they they are they're showing some some good progress, what are some of the pitfalls that you see that startup or or the entrepreneurs leading it find themselves in that you say these are some of the quick fixes if you somehow mend it, you'll be lot in a lot better shape than than you are today. Um, I think there are there are three, and I'll come, I'll give you one in each of the three areas, right? Product market fit, money, and talent. Um, with product market fit, I think the biggest pitfall is that you can go through the lean canvas or whatever your methodology is around doing customer discovery and think you have the answer, but in fact, the answer is only really going to work for ten people. Um, so selection bias in the process of doing customer discovery is a pitfall. Uh, just because 10 people will buy it doesn't mean a thousand people will buy it. Just because 10 companies think it's interesting doesn't mean a thousand will. And being able to figure that out, you know, are you talking to a wide enough sample of companies, big ones and small ones, conservative ones and 
progressive ones. And I don't mean that politically, Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, early adopters and late adopters, et cetera. So I think that, you know, sort of pitfall is like, hey, I did discovery, 10 customers are in, I'm good, um, is the pitfall around product market fit. The pitfall around money um, is, especially today, I think it's very easy to overcapitalize a business and overspend in the name of speed. And, um, uh, you know, that just leads companies to do dumb things and get out over their skis and before they're ready. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it just causes infinite problems down the road, um, too much money in and too much money out. Um, and then I think the biggest pitfall when it comes to talent, um, well, when it, when it comes to leadership talent, the biggest pitfall is, um, not moving people out quickly enough if they're the wrong fit. Um, uh, it's really hard to replace an executive. I know that everybody knows that. Um, but figuring out how to bite that bullet when, when someone isn't re- like they're doing an okay job, but not a great job. They're doing a great job, but they're a bad cultural fit. Those are tough decisions. And uh, one of my mentors once said to me, you know, in hindsight, you never fire someone too soon. You only fire them too late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I, I think that's a, a, a real pitfall. And, and if I can give you a fourth one, although it's about talent as well, I think most founders don't pay enough attention to building their board uh, and really being thoughtful about constructing um, a high quality and diverse and independent board early enough in the company's life. And that just leads over time to you having a board that is piled up with founders and VCs and is not the strategic asset that you need. That's, that's a fair point. So if we, um, so let's, let's spend a few minutes on the, the leadership aspect of, of, of this. So from, from your vantage point, um, what are the tenets of a successful leader? Like, what are some of the qualities that you really aspire or, or see uh, uh, great leaders carry? So, I think great leaders, um, first and foremost, are um, are authentic. They're themselves. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean transparent. I'm a big fan of transparency, uh, but I know plenty of good leaders that are not super transparent. So you can debate that one, mm. um, but but authenticity is really important, and um, you know what that means is if you say one thing to one person, you got to say that same thing to the next person. You can't be saying different things to different people. You can't be at odds with yourself. You also can't be at odds with the culture and with the policies that you create for the business. And I mean, I've seen founders over the years that break their own policies all the time. And sort of feel like, oh, I'm the founder. I can do whatever I want. Um, and um, you know, that, that's, not a, that's not a good practice of leadership as well. So I think there's sort of an authenticity of leadership that's important. Um, I, you know, I think um, the, the other thing that I've always found is that getting to know people, the people in your company, getting to know them as people is really important. Um, they may not be your best friends, right? They may be your professional colleagues, but especially anyone that you work with regularly, you know, you should know the name of their spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner. You should know the names and ages of their kids. Um, you should know what makes them tick as humans, what they care about. Um, and that I think makes you a better leader as well. Um, and I can probably come up with 10 other things, but... (laughs) So that, that's fair, and and um, so in when you hire a leader uh, in your personal journey, so what are some of the tenets that you look for? So very early in the conversation, you are bringing someone on board. What is your litmus test to on in in a snapshot judgment figure out if some if someone is going to be a a, a good leadership add on to your organization? Um. You know, there are a few things that I always look for. Um, one is um, I always look for um, someone who has a positive outlook. Now, that doesn't mean someone who is blindly optimistic, right? I, I appreciate people who are realistic quite a bit, um, but I want people who have a positive outlook on life, who, you know, who believe that 
they can work hard and produce good results, who believe in their team, who believe in the idea, who believe that tomorrow is going to be a better day than today. Um, so I think positivity is, um, you know, is, is, a, is a really important thing. Um, I certainly look for um, people who are, in fact, authentic and who are who they say they are. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's a little hard to get out of a, an interview process, but you can get it if you if you push enough on it. Um, and for me, I always try to find people who are not political. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, different organizations and different cultures function differently. Um, there are organizations where actually you must be political in order to survive and thrive in them. Um, but the companies that I've run over the years, uh, we try to really stay away from silos and from politics and, um, being able to identify that, you know, sort of have the, the spidey sense to, to figure that out in an interview process or by checking references, um, is, is pretty important. And, um, um, uh, you know, I, I remember so clearly this one executive who I, you know, I parted ways with years, years and years ago, different business, um, who was not effective at getting things done at the company and every, everybody knew it. And when I fired him, he said, you know what the problem with your company is? The problem is I could never figure out whose ass I had to kiss to get anything done around this place. Mm. And I said, you know, that is the problem. The problem is there was no one's ass to kiss. Mm. The problem is you actually just had to do the work. Um, and this person had just spent so much time trying to figure out how to work the system as opposed to just like being a good citizen and doing the work. So politics, um, is something that, uh, you know, that I always try to, um, to sort of smoke out early on. And then finally with leaders, the last thing I would say is, do they have followers? You know, most of the great leaders that I've hired and worked with over the years come. And the first thing they say is like, Hey, I've got five people that want to come work with me again. And they're great people. Um, and, you know, being able to have and cultivate, uh, that sort of followership over time is the hallmark of a great leader. And, and, um, in, in your journey, so you have managed team of, a again, large organization, you have built a managed team of uh, a successful startup, and now you're again, back in the startup mode, executing and building a team. So how are the, these teams, uh, or the expectations are different when it comes to these three organizational templates? When it comes to corporate, when it comes to your current uh, startups, or or basically uh, mid scale or or mid to large scale. Um, you know the um, the early stage um, is just all about getting things done, right? And it's getting done as much as you can get done, as quickly as you can get it done. It doesn't have to be perfect, and it doesn't have to be the most efficient. You just have to get a lot of things done. Um, and what that means is that you're building an organization full of people who are at the same time individual contributors and managers and leaders. Um, you need people to be able to swarm um, on projects and get things done. Um, and as the organization grows, um, you start to need people who are you know, a little more specialized, who appreciate some boundaries in the organization, who are better at handoffs. Um, as organizations scale, you have to go through what we talked about a little bit earlier, sort of this cycle of creative destruction of tear things down and build things back up. Um, and then as things, as organizations get bigger and bigger, um, people have to be good at building the machine. Um, and whether that's the talent machine, so making sure that, you know, each organization is great at bringing in, you know, entry level talent and training them up and getting them ready for the next level and the next level, the next level, they have to be good at managing um, you know, sort of cross functions, cross functional teams, um, being really disciplined about goals. Um, so they're just, you know, different flavors and characters to organizations at, at different stage of life. And like I said, there's some people that are great at all stages, as well as the transitions across them. And there's some people that are just great, um, you know, in, in, uh, you know, in an individual stage. And, um, so if, if we talk about, so, so that's, that's a great point. So if we talk about, um, grooming leaders within an organization, like what are some of some of um, your tips or tricks that has worked with for you when it comes to building your own team members to be successful leaders of tomorrow? So we had a um, a really successful model at Return Path that we didn't get to right away. It took us years to get there, and that model was 
um, hiring in really talented managers and senior individual contributors and kind of director level people from the outside and uh, uh, sort of grooming them or training them on how to manage and lead in our culture and in our environment um, and supplied them with good leaders on the inside, um, with good coaches, with good mentors. Um, but um, we had much more success with that model than we did the model of hiring in really really senior people from the outside who kind of already had their way of doing things and weren't always interested in doing things, you know, slightly differently. Um, but that model of sort of bring them in in the middle and raise them up um, with a lot of coaching and mentoring and support and feedback um, was really productive for us. And, you know, at the, at the end at return path, I think of the top 15 people in the company, other than the founders, I think every single one of them was either brought in um, in the middle um, or even uh, as an individual contributor earlier on and kind of groomed up. Um, fascinating. So now, now let's spend a few minutes on your book. And and, and definitely um, it's a pretty handsful. I think it's a lot of insights, uh, a great field guide, by the way. And I'm, I'm curious why write this book? Um, yeah, it's... It, it's uh, and it's very heavy also if you have a, uh, um, a hard copy of it. Uh, it's very long. Um, it's not actually meant to be read front to back necessarily. So, um, you know, I, my first book, uh, Startup CEO, which came out uh, in 2013, and then we did a second edition in 2020, um, that book was designed to be a kind of like an instruction manual for a first-time CEO. So it is also not designed to read front to back, but has you know sixty five or seventy chapters of how to do things, and it's designed for a CEO to have it on on their desk and just open it when they need help with something, how to hire executives, how to build a board, how to run a board meeting, how to work with an executive assistant, how to write a pitch deck. Right? It's it's really discreet. You know, four, five, six page chapters of like, all right, here's some thoughts. Great. Let me let me go from there, um, and. The thing that the book um, was kind of lacking that I thought about after I wrote it and got some feedback on from other people was, hey, you know, the most important thing sometimes of being um, a CEO is, is managing the people on your executive team and orchestrating an executive team. And I don't really know how, I mean, so I, you know, heard this from CEOs. I don't really know how to manage a, a head of sales. I've never done sales before, right? I'm a technical founder. Or, gosh, our organization's gotten really big. I don't really know how to manage a CFO at this scale. Um, you know, I don't know what's important. And uh, so that was sort of the, the origin of Startup CXO. And what we did with Startup CXO is um, I got people together who have been um, long-tenured heads of all the different major functions um, in a company, sales, marketing, HR, finance, uh, customer success, partnerships, product, technology, um, and, um, I might've forgotten one, but, uh, I, I got them together and I said, you know, let's write a book. That's an instruction manual for a whole executive team. Mm -hmm. So that's really what startup CXO is each section, which was written by a different executive with some pieces of it written by me, mm -hmm. um, is about how to do that job. So if you are a first time CFO, how do you do that job? Right, you've been in the finance department. Maybe you were VP of finance or controller somewhere, but you've never been a CFO. What are the twenty-five things you need to master to be a great CFO? The next section is about the HR function. What are the twenty-five things you need to master to be head of HR, um, et cetera? It goes through all the functions that way. So, the book really has three uses. One is for a CEO who wants to understand, like, all right, what does a great CFO do? Like, what am I supposed to manage with this person that I've never, I've never done that job before? Right. What do I need to care about? I need to care about cash management and treasury. I need to care about equity management. Like, how do I even know what they're supposed to be doing? Um, the second use case is for executives or for an executive team to not just understand their own function. Hopefully, you know, if some again, if someone's a first time executive, the, the chapter about their function is going to be really useful. Um, but even experienced executives, it's the chapters about the other functions that are really helpful. Right. If you're running sales, and your two principal executive partners are marketing and customer success, or you know, include finance in that or partnerships, like you should probably understand what those people are doing 
and what makes them successful at their function. Um, and so the book does that at well, obviously, if you read, you know, their section and next to your section. Um, and then finally, I think it's, uh, I hope it's useful for people early in their career who have aspirations to grow into um, a C-level executive to understand what their career roadmap should look like. So if you're the junior, you know, field marketing person in a marketing department and you want to be a CMO someday, you know, read the 20 chapters about what a startup CMO does mm. and at least then start to understand, okay, well, I'm doing field marketing today, but I really need some exposure to brand and digital. And gosh, if I don't understand anything about marketing operations and how to build a marketing budget or marketing plan, you know, I'm not going to be a good CMO someday. So hopefully it's useful kind of up and down the stack for some different purposes. Well, I think so. So when I was reading it, I think one thing that, that, that I observed was I felt it's written for CEO. Like it, it, so when it was, when it, it just become very pretty natural uh, because it's, it's making you aware, okay, you have a CFO. Does the CFO, is he functioning like this? Are you, this is the expectation that you expect from him. And I think you rightly pointed out uh, to the, to the, the third bucket that you're saying that uh, anyone who wants to get into this uh, will sort of get a um, uh, understanding of a particular function of how that function leaders needs to be prepped and, and prepared for. So that's that's a pretty huge task. So when you, when you write uh, such field manuals, I, I wonder what kind of homework you do when it say, okay, uh, because it's, I think I was amazed with how much you have put in and yet I was amazed at how much could be put in. So, <laughs> and, and I was, it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. So I want to hear your perspective. Yeah, I mean the the most important thing is um, I probably could not have written this book on my on my own, um, even even given enough time uh, and resources, right? Because I'm not a CFO, I'm not a head of HR. Um, so this book was was really a collaborative effort with like nine or ten of us, um, and it's it's the only way we could have gotten it done. And I would say, you know, look, you could probably write a 200, 300 page book about how to be a CFO. You probably write a thousand page book about how to be a CFO. So. It, it's not designed to be um, everything about everything for everyone, um, but it's designed to be enough. Again, and you come back to startups and what startups need, what startup leadership needs, they need enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't need to be comprehensive, but you need enough to know if you're a first-time founder, like what your CFO is supposed to be doing. Um, so, uh, you know, I think each of the functional sections has... 20 or so chapters about the most important things to, to worry about in that function. It doesn't mean there aren't others. Um, and, uh, and there are plenty of examples of that, uh, during the book. Um, but, uh, you know, we tried to make it uh, sort of, again, comprehensive enough and useful enough. So, yeah, so I had a ball, I think, so I, I'm, I'm not actually curious to read startup CEO because when I was, when I was reading this, it was, it, I find it pretty useful when it comes to what I have, what I need, what I expect. As an entrepreneur, this is a fascinating read uh, uh, from just the mindset perspective, what to expect uh, from which kind of uh, leader pool. So, and, and as you rightly pointed out, so there are sections and each section there has a, has a, has a, has a, a writer um, talking about, say, chief people officer or, or, or CFO or CMO. I'm curious how do you, how did you pick who is the right representation to write about that section for that for for your for this book? Well, that was easy for me. I picked the people that uh, that I've worked with. <laughs> so uh, the uh, you know the the writer for each section um, was um, on the senior executive team at Return Path for multiple years. Um, many of them are also uh, my co-founders at Bolster, although not all of them. Um, but the book is not really meant to be the story of uh, Return Path or the story of Bolster. So each one of these people um, has been a C-level executive running that function for many years at multiple companies at multiple sizes and stages. Um, and that's really what I was looking for. So there is kind of a common storyline because all of these people did work together for a few years. But all of them, those are a few years out of a career that spans 30 years um, where they've got lots of different, uh, lots of different stories. So, you know, the answer is there's no, there, there's no perfect person to write how to be a mm -hmm. chief financial officer, 
but I know that Jack Sinclair, who wrote that section, knows what he's doing, right? I know he's done it for a long time. I've seen him do it for a long time. He's been incredibly successful at it. He's very collaborative. He's done it at other places, and he's had lots of good mentors in his career. Um, and that's, that was kind of the fun thing for me when I um, actually started reading people's um, people's work, even though I knew them and had worked with them. I don't know their whole career. I haven't worked with them every minute of their career. Um, and one of my favorite parts, I started reading the HR section that was written by Kathy Hawley, who was my chief people officer at Return Path, one of my co-founders at Bolster. And she starts off by saying her first job out of college was running HR for a truck stop. And I didn't know that about her. Um, and wow, that is just, you know, think about it. That is such a different um, type of HR job than being the chief people officer at a technology company. Um, but some wonderful lessons that you get out of that. That that's a fair point, and um um, that's that that's pretty cool. So, um, in your um, so when you say bolster, right? So bolster talks about this on-demand leadership. I think I want to spend a few minutes on on this. It's a pretty fascinating uh, concept. Right, so when when you talk about leadership, you always envision someone who is right for the who's a cultural fit, who is part of the organization. They can uh, they understand what we represent and and moving forward. And then you talk about this this idea of on um, on demand leadership. I'm curious, like how do, how do you uh, how do you evaluate something like Bolster considering your past life? Um, how do I evaluate it? Yeah. So, so how do you see this idea of on-demand leadership? Or sort of how, do, how does it? How does that type of talent fit into yes. the yes. into the life that's, of the startup? That's, that's good. Yeah. I mean, it it fits in several types of ways. So there 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 are a few things that we um, a few different types of work that we place at Bolster. Um, we place independent board members, and I think that's a a pretty discreet bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, we place um, interim executives, fractional executives. Uh, And then we place coaches and mentors. And all those things have different use cases that fit in the life of a startup in different ways. So an interim executive is is a pretty obvious one, right? You have a full-time person doing a job, that person is no longer there abruptly, Mm -hmm. right? Either they're on parental leave for three months and you just don't have backup, you have no one to cover it. Or they left abruptly, either because you exited them or they exited you abruptly and you have no no backup. So interim, um, you know, is pretty clear. And interim executives can be at big companies or small companies. Um, fractional executives are interesting. And this is one of those things that I think is relatively new over the last five to 10 years that's sort of coming on strong as the gig economy continues to move up market. Um, and the concept of a fractional executive is they are your senior executive. They just don't work full time. Um, and, you know, if you think about an early stage company, even think about a, you know, a, a 50 or 100 person company, um, having an, a very senior C-level executive in every different chair around the executive table, seven, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 chairs, that's really expensive. That's a heavy team. So you may not want that. You may not need that. You may not be able to afford that. But having someone... Um, whether it's a couple of days a week or a few days a month, who really is that senior, been there, done that, seasoned executive, provide um, a level of strategic guidance and oversight to a more junior operating team might be a much better way to think about scaling your startup than going without a senior person or going with a full-time, very expensive senior person. Um and and that can be that can work in any function, right? We we place startup CT uh, uh, fractional CTOs, fractional heads of sales, um, a lot of fractional CFOs and heads of marketing. Um, so it could be any function where having that person a couple days a week is um, is the right fit for an organization. And then finally, mentors and coaches are a very important part of the, the startup ecosystem, and we define those two things pretty differently. So a coach we think of as someone who's working with you on your development plan, right? Someone who's helping you be the best version of you, right? Helping you learn how to be a, a leader. Um, and someone who's a great coach can coach lots of different people across all functions. Um, 
a mentor is someone that knows your job, knows the craft of your job, and can teach you how to do the craft of your job. So, uh, you know, a mentor for a CMO is, or for a, a director of marketing is really different than a mentor for a, a VP of finance. Um, it's a practitioner in that field that's just going to be your sounding board or your go-to person to advise you on the craft of your job. Um, so we place a lot of mentors as well. So if you think about it now from the perspective of a startup C CEO, right, you're building and running a startup and you care about scaling your team and yourself and your board, um, all of those different things that we place fall into that framework somewhere. So scaling your team, do you have the right people in place? Would you be? Would you benefit from a fractional executive? Do you need an interim executive? Does someone need a functional mentor? Right, scaling yourself as a CEO. Do you need a more experienced CEO as a mentor, or do you need a coach? Um, and then finally, scaling your board is adding independent directors uh, to mm -hmm. boards that are typically dominated by founders and VCs um, to make sure that you get some outside perspective um, on the board. And so, so you are a technology company, right? So you bring technology to this mix. So I'm I'm curious to understand how what role technology play when it comes to um, getting uh, getting me leadership access or leaders access. I'm curious. Yeah, I mean we're building an online marketplace that's driven by data. Uh, so uh, you know the same way you go into Airbnb and you set a whole bunch of filters that what are you looking for? Where do you want to go? How many days? How many people are you going to have there? Are you bringing pets? Do you need a pool? Um, right. And then up pops the map with all the relevant places uh, on it. Um, that's the bolster experience as well. So if you're looking for a mentor for your VP of finance and you're a, you know, B2B e-commerce company uh, and you're located in New York and you want someone who's available a couple hours a month and you want someone that's worked at the, you know, 10 to $25 million stage, put all those filters in and we will direct you to a bunch of people that are qualified to do that work. So if, if 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 you wear your bolster hat and you have technology in your favor, you are helping connect um, leadership with organizations, their vacancy or, or or the opportunity in them. From your vantage point, what what do you see as the future of leadership? Like, do you see um, future where leaders are fragmented and mapped? using these capabilities, which are fascinating, which exactly fill for the void that's missing and give them quick access to the most agonizing pain? Or or it's 17 years brewing, relationship building, um, leadership. So what, where do you, where, what, what's your take on that? I think it's a hybrid. Uh, you know, success, the most successful um, management teams are also the ones that have a very cohesive culture, that do have a good mix of outside experience and tenure. Um, you obviously need people who know the business well, who know the customers well, who know the people well. So I, I don't think you could staff um, a leadership team indefinitely with fractionals and with mentors. Um, but what we do, and the reason the company is called Bolster, is we are there to help bolster your team. Uh, and you know your your team, your board, yourself. You know, it's never going to be exactly what you want and exactly what you need if if all you're focused on, um, you know, is uh, is full time people in seats. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think the work that we're doing already with with a number of our clients is sort of proving that out that um, the the margin of excellence for a management team can come from uh, being bolstered by some fractionals or coaches or mentors or a great board member. I think it's it's a fascinating idea. So definitely, um, uh, thank you for doing doing your part on that. So uh, now let's let's get on a slightly fun ground. So we 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 and and by the way, thank you so much for walking us walking us through through your journey and helping us understand startup CXO. So uh, we call this section rapid fire, and and okay. what what do we do is uh, so I'll I'll usher a keyword or whatever it is. And just tell me what comes to your mind, and then you obviously you can elaborate more if 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 things needs more elaboration. But but that's how you know how the rapid fire works. So should we start? Okay, let's go. So startups driving this country's economic engine. Entrepreneurship. Sport. <laughs> Failures. 
learning growth painful that's interesting um culture everything founder fun <laughs> disruption more fun uh jobs of future flexible hmm that's interesting uh future of startups crowdfunded and future of organizations back in an office question mark yeah that's a, that's a big question mark <laughs> So th- uh, thank you thank you for playing that uh, I do appreciate that so now uh, we're at the tail end of the conversation and and I want to spend few minutes um understanding your personal journey to to where you are today so um basically we ask all of our guests to talk and share about um some qualities that has helped them become what they have become they have contributed to their success talk to us about some of those qualities that has shaped you what you are today um i think one is that i have been very intentional about scaling myself as a leader over the years um yeah i'm very proud of the fact that i founded a company and ran it till it was north of 100 million in revenue um but you know there, there's not one thing that goes into that right it's putting all sorts of support systems in place and then it's changing those as you need to change them uh it's working with a coach it's working with mentors it's working with a peer group it's having a phenomenal executive assistant and learning how to how to really optimize that relationship uh so i feel like i've been i've been very lucky to have all of those great people around me but very intentional about seeking them out um i think a second thing is that i've come to believe over the years um and this is a little bit of a complicated sentence that i say a lot but it's that luck is more important than timing mm. which is more important than execution which is more important than the idea so we talked earlier about how like the idea is great but if you don't have a team to execute it it kind of doesn't matter but we didn't really talk about the role of timing and the role of luck and i think in in business and probably in life those things are so important and uh you know just think about facebook was not the first social network mm. right there was friendster there was myspace there were you know a bunch of things right linkedin was not the first thing like linkedin there was plaxo mm. uh if you remember that and i those things were not maybe they weren't executed well we know the idea was good because the idea took off eventually um my memory of them is that they were executed at least passably well but they weren't it wasn't the right time for the world or maybe those founders didn't have the right luck they didn't get them in the right hands at the right time or they didn't have the right investors or something um and i think as a as an entrepreneur i've and an operator i've always tried to be really thoughtful and mindful about timing and luck uh and um you can't create those things but you can be mindful about them and you can try to put yourself in the best position to take advantage of trends right of timing mm-hmm. um and you know there's that old expression about luck that uh you know fortune favors the bold mm-hmm. right or you have to shoot to score right so you, you you can kind of make your own luck if you're if you're persistent enough that's a fair point so um we ask all of our guests to share some of their favorite reads so um i wonder if you have any read that has inspired you or 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 is in your list of good read to follow um I, i'll tell you two of my favorite business related books one is ben horowitz's book the hard thing about hard things um which uh possible that's actually my favorite business book it's certainly a you know phenomenal one um and uh you know being a ceo 
or a founder, your job is full of hard things. And, uh, you know, it's a book that really resonates with founders. It's very different from my book. Um, and, uh, I, I like to think the two of them go well together. Um, the other book of, of all the business books that I've read that, that I, I turn to the most is a book called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Mm. And I'm a big Lencioni fan. I've read all of his books. Um, but the advantage is one where he he pulls in the frameworks from lots of his other books all into that one book. So I, I sort of describe the advantage as um, a little bit of like how to how to run your leadership team, um, and um, and I think it's a, a really really accessible and and useful book. Interesting. No, that's 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 fascinating and. Uh... Thank you for sharing that. So now, um, as the last um, but not the least, so if you want something that our listeners and viewers to take away from this conversation, like what would that be? What would be your closing thought? My closing thought is that um, it's about scaling. And I would say um, most people whether it's you, CEO, or someone on your team, most people can't scale infinitely. But they can scale a lot further than you think. And that what I've learned over the years is that the key to scaling is about being obsessed with mastering the craft of your job. Not just obsessed about knocking down things off your task list. Not just access to uh, about you know doing a good job here or a good job there. It's about mastering the craft of your job. With that, um, thank you so much, Matt, for for spending time with us, helping us understand um, the startup CXO landscape, and 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 thank you for playing your part in in educating entrepreneurs that are building, as you rightly said, tomorrow's uh, uh, the future. And uh, and thank you for all you are doing, and and thank you for this amazing book. I think it's a it's definitely I, I agree it's a field guide, and it is it is um and to to a to a nerdy entrepreneur this is an amazing paperweight also, it's 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 heavy it's a good exercise uh <laughs> ten times a day, it you learn something and probably you build a muscle or two so I think from that point of view, it's amazing and thank you thank you for uh for that. <sighs> Thanks, Vishal. I appreciate you uh, having me on. Awesome. Uh, take care. Thank you.